This is the story of the Red Ball Express, starring Louis Calhoun as narrator. The railroad tracks of this nation hum with the distant thunder of the pounding 484s, the huge 462s, and the tremendous 4124s, the mighty iron horses that huff and puff and pull the freight through across the plains, over the rivers, high into the mountains. In the Sierras, the double-headers wake the granite echoes with their chugging and rival the legendary ghosts with their banshee wails. Outside the big cities, the shipping centers of the nation, the maze of tracks that are the marshalling yards team with loaded freight cars, herded into endless trains by the busy, barking switch engines. The cars coupled... The big freight engine with its tender hooks on. Engineer and conductor await the dispatcher's orders. Time, Eagle Eye. Almost. Check watches? Right. When I say check, it'll be exactly 2.03. Check. And double check. There it is. We're in the slot. Let's go, Eagle Eye. Red ball all the way through. Red ball, all the way through. Red ball, milk, the mail, food, medical supplies, priority shipments, fast freight. Red ball, all the way through. The heavy freight slams along the line of track. The twin steel ahead gleaming in the headlight of the engine. The twin steel behind reflecting the red glow of the block signals. Red ball, all the way through. But to the men who worked and fought in Normandy and halfway across France in August 1944, those same two words carry quite another meaning. cooking here? The big parade? Oh, just about, fella. It's big, even if it isn't any parade. What's wrong with your engine? Oh, you ask more doggone questions when a man's busy. Well, I just thought maybe I could help. It was a mechanic, stateside. Oh, it's not as bad as I thought. Carburetor needed a little fixing. Yeah, yeah that's it. Thanks, anyway. It's okay, only you haven't told me what it's all about yet. Oh, just that Patton's busted through on the road to charter. He's hollering like crazy for gas and ammo. You guys bringing it up to him? Right from the dumps at Omaha, straight through one-way traffic. We're calling it the Red Ball Express. See you in Paris, soldier. It's the Red Ball Express, roaring by, roaring by. It's the Red Ball Express, roaring by. And a song ringing clear through the sky. Red Ball Express. Priority freight in France in August 1944. Organized and put into action by the Motor Transport Brigade of the Transportation Corps, United States Army. They brought the gas and ammunition, the food and medical supplies through to the advancing spearhead of our armies. 
And as they drove the roads of France around or through and over the bomb craters and the shell holes, snatching sleep here and food there, there were ghosts aboard those mighty trucks. There must have been proud, smiling ghosts aboard. You see, modern as the trucks were, young and modern as the men were, their tradition goes back, way back, almost a hundred years. 1852. The 32nd Congress of the United States authorizes the Secretary of War to employ such portion of the United States Army Corps of Topographical Engineers as he may deem necessary to ascertain the most practicable route for a railroad from the Mississippi River to the Pacific Ocean. So it began. The vast system of gleaming track that binds this nation today. Across and up and down this great broad land. And with it began the long, glorious, persistent tradition inherited and carried on by the Army Transportation Corps. Four routes were marked as possibilities. Four expeditions were manned, officered, equipped. And in the spring of 1853, they set out to plan the rights of way to be. First was the northern way out of St. Louis. We followed in the footsteps of Lewis and Clark from St. Louis to the mouth of the Columbia River. Governor Isaac I. Stevens of the Territory of Washington was in charge. His second in command was Captain George B. McClellan. Lieutenant Whipple was our CO. We started out from Fort Smith, Arkansas. Surveyed our way clear through to the Texas Panhandle, to Albuquerque, across Arizona and California, into Los Angeles. Our outfit was in two parts, like the operation in the north. Lieutenant Pope had one detail, and Lieutenant Park had the other. Through southern Texas, New Mexico, Arizona, and clear across California to the Pacific. We were sort of medium. Right down the center, you might say. Missouri, Kansas, Colorado, Utah, Nevada, Northern California. Captain John Gunnison and Lieutenant Edward Beckwith were our officers. It was a good trip. Good anyway until we got into Utah on the old Spanish trail. There we met up with some Atonaquint Indians. Friendly fellows. They tried to help. You, Chief, the fish warriors. I'm Captain Gunnison in charge, yes. You want to follow trail along Sevier River? That's our plan. Any reason why we shouldn't? Plenty of reason. Much trouble. Uh-oh, just a moment. Eddie, come here a minute, will you? Yeah, sure enough, John. Anything wrong? A friend here has something to tell us. I want you to hear it, too. Right. Go ahead, Chief. Much trouble. No come pale faces. Him called Mormons. Have war with Wakaras. Mm. That's the Walker tribe, John. But uh, what's this got to do with us? War parties on Spanish trail. Many braves. Not care you, not Mormons. All pilfish seem to Wakaras. You, not very many. But there may be you go back now. We can't, Chief. You see, the great white father in Washington has ordered us to make this survey so the railroad can be built through here. We must obey orders. Not good, you go on. You brave warriors. <laughs> Thank you, Chief. And thanks again for the warning. We'll double our scouts and move with care, believe me. 
just that. Moved with care along the Spanish trail to the valley of the Sevier River. There, the party, feeling reasonably safe, split. Lieutenant Beckwith going on along the trail while Captain Gunnison and eight men branched off to explore Sevier Lake. They continued on down the river, planning to meet Beckwith a short while later. It was dawn, October 26th, 1853. Sergeant, you hear anything? What? Oh, no, sir. Nothing. I'll just jump here, I guess. Go on back to sleep, sir. Yes, sir. Where'd you come from? What's happened? I'm... I'm the only one to get away, sir. The, the walkers? Yes. They hit us at dawn. Ambush it was. Must have been 50 of them in a while nine. Captain Gunnison told me to get help, but it was over too quick. In the excitement, the savages missed me, sir. No? Nobody else? No, sir. Captain Gunnison must have had 15 arrows in him. I'd like to go back with you if I may, Lieutenant. We got a debt to settle with those walkers, sir. The debt was settled in the name of Captain Gunnison and seven other good men of Company A, the Mounted Rifles. Eight Indians were caught and tried for murder in Salt Lake City. We completed our assignment to the Pacific in 1854. It was our route on which they built the Union Pacific Railroad. They drew the line with rod and transit, pack and chain, those strong young men in blue back there in 53 and 54. The long straight lines of track followed where they marked with sweat and blood and bound this continent into this nation, one and indivisible forever. Two years later... August 26, 1856 to be exact, a strange, in fact a very strange procession moved out of San Antonio in Texas, headed for Valverde, 60 miles away. Hey there, soldier! You calling me friend? Yep. What are these, uh, these animals? They don't get too close, they snap. Wouldn't get within 10 feet of them, I wouldn't. I'm sensitive to smells. What are they, soldier? Oh, they're camels. Oh, don't tell me that. Camels is in the desert in Arabia or someplace where they got them their Turks and harems. That's where these come from. <laughs> what in tarnation burr? Well, that Mr. Jefferson Davis, who's Secretary of War, he thinks it might be a good idea, what with all the deserts further west, to have a few camels in the United States. Say, never can tell. He might be right at that. Well, right or wrong, what you're looking at is the first Camel Corps of the United States Army. Yes, a Camel Corps, United States Army. Commanded first by Major Henry Wayne. Major Wayne took his camels and the second load as well that came to Texas one year later to the camp for them at Valverde, Texas. 
There he bred and studied them for the army, but did little about using them on the deserts of the West. Then in 1857, a new arrival entered the Camel Corral at Valverde. Major Wayne, Lieutenant Edward Beale reporting, sir. How do you do? It is, Lieutenant. Thank you, sir. I assume you have orders, Lieutenant. Yes, sir. Here they are. You'll find I'm directed by the new Secretary of War, Mr. Floyd, to assume charge of part of your herd of camels and use them as part of my expedition to survey a wagon route from San Antonio to Fort Defiance, Colorado. And off they went. Beal, his detail, and the camels. Out thrust the long necks. Up came the knees. Down came the large flat hooves that Beale observed were tough as gutta percha. Right and left swayed the double humps, while the long noses observed the odors of the land with that supercilious camel expression. While the camel attendants, strangers in this strange land, shouted at their charges in Turkish, Greek, and Armenian. The camel corps was on the trail. Lieutenant Beale kept a careful diary. June 28, 1857. Camels appear to prefer the mesquite shrub to the grass hereabouts for grazing purposes. July 4th. The camels, to my surprise, weathered a heavy rainstorm as well as the mules. July 5. Now they're eating greasewood and liking it. July 16. Yesterday, the camels drank water for the first time in 26 hours. October 4. I rarely think to mention the camels now. They're the soul of a party and the noblest brood alive. Why, they eat anything from greasewood to the prickly pear and keep fat on it. February 21, 1858. I have tested the camels, marked a new road to the Pacific, and traveled 4,000 miles without accident, without loss of a man. The entire adaptation of the camels to military operations on the Western Plains may now be taken as demonstrated. Three years later, the war between the states began. Some camels escaped from Valverde and were captured in Missouri. The rest stayed on their farm until the federal government took possession once again in 1865. By then, the Iron Horse was on its way to conquering the plains. And so, in 1866, the army sold the camels. And the camel corps of the army passed calmly, if flat-footed, from the pages of history. The years rolled by. The government grew. Problems of supply arose, were met, and solved. But through it all, one animal became tradition in the service of supply. And even on the playing fields where service teams competed year by year, one animal, cursed with heels and temper, but loved as much as he was hated, the rambunctious, ever-faithful, cantankerous, but beloved... Army Mule. The mule, the army mule. He fought at Gettysburg and Shiloh. He was a help in Cuba. And a hero in the mountains of the Philippines. 
And he sailed away to France in 1918 with his human comrades of the Transportation Corps. With their trucks and cars to discover something new to all of them in France in 1918. Hey, Sarge, can you read that sign? Oh, me? I don't know any more frog talk than you do. How about you, soldier? I can try. Uh, let me see. Oh, that, yeah, I've seen that before, back at La Havre. It says that, uh, Karen T. Humus at Weedy Sheepwalkers. Uh, I can see that myself, but what does it mean? Uh, having the slightest idea, pal. Not the slightest. If you really want to know, Dopey, I'll tell you. Sure, sure. Give out with the inside info. Well, current, home, or wheat, chavot means 40 men and 8 horses. Yeah, you hear that, soldier? I ain't counted the men, but I can sure smell them horses. When we hit France in 1918... We brought along not only men and mules and guns and everything to fight with. We brought along the locomotives to pull some of the trains built to the French pattern in our roaring factories. We left them there when we went home. And when we came back that thundering day in June of 1944, we found... Well, what do you know? Look at here. You? Surprised? I thought you knew everything. Oh, this I never expected, Sarge. Look. Ah, just another railroad engine for us to run. As far as I can see. Yeah, I know, but look at the plate on it, Sarge. Made in USA, 1917. Boy, I'll bet this Casey Jones is glad to see us. And so we came to France again in 44 and brought our nation's resources with it. Everything from shining youth to six penny nails for nailing clapboards onto barracks. The list is myriad. We brought it all. Trucks from Detroit and oil from California. Soap from Chicago and generators from Schenectady. Neckties from New York and bazookas from Kansas City. 21,000 boxcars. A million and a quarter microphones. 16 million 75 millimeter shells. 617 million tablets of sulfadiazine. 13 and a half billion rounds of small arms ammunition. And more and more. And more. We brought an army and its civilization to the shores of France. How we brought it there was the work of the... Transportation Corps. Of course, we had no ports in France to start with, or for a long time after we landed. So another secret weapon was devised to fool the Nazis. You see, they had it all figured out. We <laughs> shall have no trouble pushing the Allies back into the English Channel. When the infantry are on a beach, and they are trying to put the heavy tanks and guns ashore, in that moment when they are weakest, then we will destroy them. Oh, they were very, very sure, the Nazis. Until the secret weapon was unveiled. Two of them, in fact. That made the older Navy men on our ships chortle in surprise. <laughs> well, I never thought I'd live to see it. Boats with wheels. Yeah, we call them ducks. 
from the official letters. D-U-K-W. Duck. Not bad. They swim out to the ships, take on a ton or two of stuff, ride right up to the beach and onto the road. Not bad, huh? <laughs> what do you call those barges with the hinges and the outboard motors? Them? We call them rhinos. From uh, rhinoceros? Sure. Ever see a real rhino swim? Just his back and his eyes show. Well, we took concrete case on, see? Made them hollow so they'd float. Then we joined them with hinges so the sea wouldn't rack crack them. We put the heavy stuff, the guns and trucks and so on, on them. Run the things right up on the beach. Start the trucks and away we go. Don't even need a pier. And we had no pier. The Nazis took care of that. They held the ports of France and Belgium. And when we took Cherbourg, they smashed the harbor. In the meantime, there was no time to waste. Message from CP, sir. Thank you. Well, spread the word. The Third Army's broken through at Saint-Lô. Patton's busted through. He's getting in the ranch. 25,000 rounds for machine guns, half a million for small arms. Keep them rolling. Third Army's bypassed Paris. Convoy 59 hit the road. They're hollering for hand grenades. Corral every tank truck you can lay your hands on and every driver. All the tankers are rolling, sir. Then load the six-by-sixes with jerry cans. 600,000 gallons of gas and oil have got to go up front at once. Tell the engineers, we'll need 25,000 directional signs for the roads to the front. Pronto. The MPs will install them. Any special insignia, sir? As an old railroad man, there's only one insignia that fits. I want it on the signs and on every vehicle assigned to the job. A red circle. The sign of the Red Ball Express. We didn't think it was so much back in August 44. We red-balled the two-and-a-half-tonners over the roads, and the engineers kept the roads open. Sometimes we had to shoot a little, snipers and such. A few of the men got hurt, and not many. Mostly it was sleep and food. You don't get much sleep in a ten-minute stopover. Well, anyhow, it's over now. It had to be done. And like a lot of things the Transportation Corps was asked for, it got itself done. But I'm still catching up on the sleep I lost in France <laughs> almost two years ago. It's a red ball express, roaring by, roaring by. Is it any wonder the ghosts who rode those trucks, McClellan, Whipple, Hope, Gunnison, and all the others smiled with pride and laughed with the speed as they saw their tradition come through once again? as they saw the structure that was raised upon the foundation laid in the Rockies, on the deserts, and on the plains almost a hundred years before. And we ourselves can take some pride that our sons made such good use of the tools we built. That now, today, this minute, the tremendous job of the Army Transportation Corps is going on in peace with all the speed and skill that wrote immortality into the term Red Ball Express. It's the Red Ball Express, roaring by, roaring by. 
You have been listening to Red Ball Express, starring Louis Calhoun as narrator. This has been a presentation of This is a Story. This is the Armed Forces Radio Service, the voice of information and education.